So it's normal when we live together in society, that many people gathered together, that some people like us, some people will dislike us. And those that dislike us are probably more than those that like us, because people can be uh, strict or have competition, have competitiveness. But however it is, practice loving kindness to care for your heart, to not get lost in ill will or anger or aversion. Because we see that people that have anger or aversion, disliking, it all arises from the sense of self. So Dhamma practitioners, we should understand that it's these qualities of ignorance, craving and attachment that cover over the mind. The mind isn't free. It's controlled, it's under the influence by ignorance, craving, and attachment. Therefore, we can give forgiveness. But don't be too closely associated with those that dislike you, because that can lead to agitation and the mind feeling troubled. You can associate with good friends, with Kalyana Mitta, spiritual friends, cultivate merit together, have love and kindness for one another can live together in a way that's easeful and relaxed. Those that dislike you can practice equanimity, upeka. One day it's possible that they'll change their mind. So you can practice loving kindness for those that you get along with, those that are easy to give metta to, just like one would love the child in one's own womb. So it's important when you have time or it's important to make time to meditate, to cultivate the mind, not to waste time with useless things. Dear Longpo, I have a question about karma and death. In some countries, there's assisted suicide for certain people with terminal illness or unbearable pain. If one becomes an elderly and doesn't have anyone to look after oneself and wants to avoid the burden of somebody to look after one's own aging body, is it bad karma to attempt assisted suicide if one has the chance to do it? It seems like a better idea to die in a peaceful assisted environment rather than risk dying in a struggling situation. Thanks for your guidance on this. So in terms of religion, the Buddhist religion, the Buddhasasana, this uh, word suicide, a concept of suicide, for instance, when one can't bear the pain at the end of one's life, one wants to destroy one's body because the pain, the dukkha vedana is a lot. So you have to Contemplate, if you think like this, does the mind feel sad or low? Because if the mind is in a sad state, then the mind is not pure. And if you die in that state, you may think that your mind, or that you won't be a burden for others. But the mind in a sad state like that goes to a painful place, a painful destination. So we see that however it is, one must die all the same so at the end of one's life, one can make an effort to fight with the pain and the doctors can give medicine to reduce the pain as well. Because we see that if one dies with a mind that's not peaceful, a mind that's sad, that's not a good situation for us. 
So we have to look inside the mind. That's the important point. Is the mind agitated or not? Is it peaceful or not? So take a look at the inner mind. If the mind's in a good state, then one can uh, or the mind in a good state is an important point when one dies. It is possible that some people may think that they don't want to be a burden for others. They feel like they've had enough of the world. But as they die, they think of merit and goodness that they've done. Their mind can be pure in that moment. And when they die, they can be reborn in a good place. So some people in this kind of situation can go to a painful destination or happy destination. It's up to the state of mind at death. Dear Ajahn Anand, how do I practice equanimity when I've suffered a huge pain as a result of separation from a loved one? So this separation from the loved, <clears throat> this separation from the loved, we have to separate from all the things that we love and cherish. This is something that we're instructed to contemplate, something that all bhikkhus, all practitioners should contemplate regularly. That separation from the loved, we've not gotten beyond separation from the loved, that we will separate from all that we love and hold dear, something that will happen for us. We see that this is natural, this is the way of nature. So we have the opportunity when we experience separation to contemplate it as Dhamma. Because everything that we receive, we have to separate from. Just like these bodies of ours, having been born, we must separate from them. And sometimes we separate before, or separate from things before we die. It's up to the fruition of Kama. So we contemplate in this way. Some people die in the womb as young little children, as uh, pre-teenagers, as adolescents. A great number of beings die as children. Some people die and, as young adults. One's mother and father die. So one must separate from everything. So if we cling and have too much attachment, that our mind feels sad. This arises because of craving and attachment. So if we're able to accept that this condition is normal, this condition of separation, we're able to see the Dhamma. There's one example from the time of the Buddha, where a man had a daughter, seven years old. This daughter listened to the Dhamma of the Lord Buddha and realized stream entry. And after she realized stream entry, she went to go see her father who was working and making cloth. And as the daughter came into the room, the father lost his mindfulness and the spool of thread flew across the room and killed her right there. And he suffered a great deal over this. But he went to listen to the Dhamma from the Buddha he was able to understand the truth of reality. He was able to abandon the sadness in his heart. And he realized the stage of non-returning, the third stage of awakening. So we see that this 
individual had a great amount of merit and parami cultivated from the past. So we recollect this, that we must separate from all that we loved, all that we love. And we can see that that thing that we lost when we think of it and we feel sad about it, we think, well, will that sadness bring back that which we love? The answer is no, it won't bring it back. That sadness will only bring us bad health of body and bad health of mind. So we can change our way of thinking and think that this is a new opportunity arising for us, an opportunity to contemplate life as uncertain and to motivate us to do merit and goodness, also to give loving kindness to ourselves, to love ourselves even more. Because when the time comes, we have to separate. We see that we suffer like this. So we make effort in order to overcome this experience of loss. And we seek out friends that we can speak with to to be able to let out some of this emotional energy from the heart in order to have a sympathetic ear to help our hearts feel better. We can also study the Dhamma and see that in the Buddha's time, people experience loss, experience the loss of a beloved child and this individual wanted that child back. And the Buddha said, your child hasn't gone anywhere. When you think of your child, are you able to remember them? And he said, yes, well, then they're right there. And then the Buddha instructed that person to go find a mustard seed in a house where someone had lived to the age of a hundred in order to make a medicine for the dead child. That person went to go seek it out. There was no household that had someone who was a hundred years old. So that person felt disappointed. And the Buddha taught them, they had the faith to ordain, they realized our hunship. So we see that this experience of loss can lead us to meet with the Dhamma, to see the Dhamma. And if our parami, our spiritual virtues, are not yet to that level, then we patiently endure first to cultivate, develop the mind. And we make time, set aside time to care for the mind, to not be heedless. Because we see that in the past, we didn't think about this. We had possessions, material objects, and they were broken or lost, but we didn't contemplate this, and this gave rise to suffering. Some people, for instance, have a precious diamond, and when it gets lost, they suffer a great deal. So this is speaking of material things. Venerable Ajahn Chah gave a method for contemplating this. He said that when you use something, contemplate that it's already broken, or that it's already gone, already lost. And then when it's actually gone or actually broken, then the mind doesn't suffer. Because if the mind clings, then this is coming from delusion, gives rise to worry, and suffering arises. So therefore we have to contemplate to give rise to wisdom, 
if we see that we're unable to let go, we see that this is the mind in ignorance, the mind that doesn't understand the truth of reality. And so the Buddha taught in this way that we cycle through birth and death, wander on and samsara like this. Whatever life we're born into, where the mind is deluded with clinging with the sense of self. In the end, we must separate from everything that we love. So we have to practice to abandon that quality of sadness. Sometimes we We see that the mind is sad, but the mind doesn't suffer along with it. The mind's the heart is, or we have a broken heart, but the mind's not broken along with it. The mind's sad, but the mind is not sad along with it. So when loss arises, we can practice like this. This is something we have to endeavor and practice and train in because it's normal to experience this. So we have to train and contemplate it a lot in order to accept the experience of loss. And when we're able to accept it, then the strength and energy of mind can return to us. And so this type of suffering, this type of experience is something we should have great care for with regard to. Namaste, Longpo. I have just and recently encountered someone who breaks all of the five precepts regularly. The precepts she breaks often are lying, stealing, and scamming others for their wealth. I have also started to see the result of her karma even in this life, as she's the only one in our workplace whose belongings often get stolen by strangers. My question is, what would be the result of someone breaking each of the precepts in this life and the lives after? Thank you, Longpo. So when it comes to the breaking of the precepts, we look at the first precept, that of harming beings, killing beings. And so if we break that precept, the precept of uh, killing, hurting the lives of other beings, the result of doing that is illness feeling sick, feeling pain, having health problems, the kind of health problems that when treated or cared for, they don't improve because it's a disease of karma, something hard to care for, makes one's life difficult. And it's a kind of agitation, a particular type of karma. It can also lead one to die before their lifespan is complete. For instance, dying from an accident or one is born with a disability and one has a shortened life uh, because of hurting or torturing the lives of beings. And so there's a story of an individual who'd like to hurt animals. As a child, he'd like to break the legs of crabs. This is something he would do all the time. It was a very strong habit that he liked to break the legs of crabs. And his mother warned him not to do that, but he wouldn't stop because it was an ingrained habit. And then the result of that karma arose when he was working in Japan. It was coming to be the time for him to return to Thailand. 
And there was one great teacher, great monk, who had knowledge, told him to hurry back to Thailand because he knew that an accident was about to happen. But that resultant karma gave fruit. This man walked close to a machine at his workplace and the sleeve of his shirt got caught in the machine and it pulled his arm and severely damaged his arm. That was the comic fruit arising. He didn't die from it, but his arm had to be uh, cut off, uh, amputated. They came to the monastery and told the story. Then he asked me, please help tell the story to others to help them realize that they should not hurt, should not kill other beings because such actions give result just like this. So this is with regard to the first precept. So therefore try not to hurt or kill the lives of other beings. And if there are animals that are due to be killed, for instance, at a live market or uh, any animal due to be slaughtered, you can purchase that animal and release it safely, like fish or crabs, cows, birds, and so on. You can release them. And this gives rise to prosperity and welfare. And when you have the opportunity, you can care for sick monks, care for sick monastics, help with their hospital care, medical care. And if there's an opportunity to donate blood, you can do that as well. So in terms of the second precept, that of uh, not stealing, not destroying the wealth of others, so the result of breaking this precept is uh, our personal economy doesn't prosper, doesn't do well. We have the loss of wealth. Our wealth gets stolen or destroyed in some way. Or we forget where our belongings are. Or in various ways, our wealth doesn't last, experience loss. So... When this happens and this loss occurs, it's the kama that has been done in the past. And so we practice generosity all the time, regularly do merit and generosity because we, we don't desire the possessions of others. We don't hurt or harm the lives of other beings. This leads to having long life, good health, having a firmly established wealth, no one steals, no one destroys. And so this comes from the developing of goodness. In terms of the third precept, all types of sexual misconduct, some of the results of breaking that precept is that no one loves us. Our mother and father throw us away and discard us. Or we have insincere friends we have problems with our health, uh, a face that's not beautiful. We lack warmth in our life and uh, insincerity from those around us. In terms of breaking the fourth precept against uh, wrong speech, one of the result or some of the results of breaking that precept is that no one believes what we say. For instance, if we or we can argue with our mother or father or those that we owe a debt of gratitude to and this gives a bad impression 
and that leads to bad results. So we practice to speak the truth, to cultivate our such a parmi, spiritual virtue of truthfulness. And the benefits of that are, uh, or sorry, or if we don't take care of this fourth precept, then we'll lack beauty. People will be insincere with us. And so these are just uh, abbreviated or uh, just some of the effects of not observing these precepts. In terms of the fifth precept, that against intoxicants, breaking this precept leads us to have wisdom that's no good, meditation that's no good, our studies uh, don't go well, our work doesn't go well, and our family, in our family life, there's a lack of wisdom as well. And this causes us not to prosper, not to progress in life, because we see that taking intoxicants makes the brain muddled and dark. And so this is also a kama of the jitta, of the mind. Some of the mind builds a body, that body becomes incomplete, lacking in various ways. And if we observe this precept, then when we do vipassana or insight practice, then we have insight, have clear seeing, we have good wisdom. And so these are uh, just some of the drawbacks of not having virtue and some of the benefits of having virtue. <clears throat> 